Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture, several passages, but a subject that is certainly nearer to fulfillment than ever before. It is something that we dare not meet and as a, I'm a believer, if you're not a believer, uh, God loves you just as much as any person on the planet. But it's very important that as a believer, I share with you that which the scripture teaches us as to what's going on in our world, what's going to happen in the days to come. We cannot do anything about the past, but we can certainly do some things about the future. This is the first day of the rest of our life, and we try to remind ourselves of that all the time. But today we're going to speak on a subject that for many, you've heard it so many times, you'd say, well, I think I'll just go home early today because I know but uh, let me just assure you, we never get too much of, of what I'm fixing to talk about. But for those of you that this is very familiar, I want you to know there's a huge number of people here today and many that are watching and listening around the world that have never heard what I'm fixing to say. So if you feel like you've got it all together on the subject, just, just sit still and pray. Ask God to share the good news that you've heard with the people that are hearing it for the first time. But this is a very very, very special subject for everybody, especially it's a glorious promise to the believer, but it is an awakening call for the non-believer. I've been titling the message, Our Ultimate Hope, Our Ultimate Hope. Our being believers, children of God, those that are not better than anybody else, but those that have received the gift of salvation, and thereby acknowledging that we were a sinner. We didn't try to argue the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We just asked Jesus to come into our heart as he says you must do. And I will come in and take over your life. And this will be the first day of the rest of your life. I will forgive your past. I'll forget about your past. And I will take you from on the journey for the rest of eternity. And with that comes a promise. That promise is a fabulous uh, vision of the future. It's our ultimate hope as we see the wheels seemingly to be coming off literally all over the world. Where there is those words of Jesus, I'm going away. And then he's going to say, I'll show you in a minute, tell you what it's going to be like. But I am coming back. Don't quit. Don't give up hope. Don't throw in the towel. Don't get angry and just stalk off and say, I don't believe that and I don't care. But just listen to the love of God as he pours it out upon each of us. Before I read the text, let me just again put everybody as I can on the same page that we understand whether you've heard the story or you have not. Let me remind you, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He gave them a perfect environment. Anything, you know, that you say, well, I don't like guns. Well, there were no guns, okay? Well, I just don't like people. Well, there were no people, you know? Well, I just love animals. There was plenty of them. Well, I like flowers. There's lots of those too. And I put them in a perfect garden. Didn't give them 10 commandments. He gave them one. Don't eat of that tree over there. I'm gonna see if you will obey me. I've blessed you. I've, I've put you in dominion over everything, but don't eat the fruit of that tree. Adam and Eve that day, 
in a perfect environment where everything was politically correct, environmentally correct, however you want to word it, they sinned. One commandment, don't eat the tree. They had it for lunch. (laughs) Same day. And from that moment, sin came into the world. And when sin came into the world, we are born in it. And the, and the absolute scientific fact or, or the, uh, the, the, the fact of experience that teaches you, nobody was ever taught to be bad. We come that way. Even grandkids come that way. And I'm not sure, but I suspect my great-grandchildren are going to come that way. But we've all sinned. We don't do right on purpose. We are rebellers. You hit me, I'm going to hit you. You know, I mean, it's that kind of a deal. But as that began, the things become to unravel and nations came against nations, all the Old Testament, their prophecies all during that time of what was going to happen. And listen to me, every single prophecy of years, hundreds before it took place, took place. I'll show you in just a few minutes and give you the text. God promised to send his son to the world and he came to the world in the form of a little baby born in Bethlehem, crucified on a Roman cross, not because Rome had power over him, but he laid his life down because that one sin brought sin into the world and death by sin. So all now have to die. All have to to face the creator according to the scripture. God said, as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit get together, they came up with a plan. The plan was, God, I will become flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. I will come and live just over three decades. I will teach people how to live and I will show people how to live. And I will make it clear that everybody's welcome to live forever. But that sin has got to be paid for. So that Jesus went to a cross and was nailed to a cross. His blood was the payment, the ransom for the sin of not only Adam and Eve, but the sin to the whole world. He died on that cross. He said, you're not going to take my life. I'm going to lay it down. And three days, it looked good to the world. But on the third day, the Old Testament prophecies of hundreds, even thousands of years before took place in that he rose from the grave on the third day. Forty days he lived here and he went to those that didn't believe that it would happen and looked them in the eye. And he said, I told you so. And then to the believers, hey, I love you. I'm fixing to go back. I'm only going to be here for 40 days. I'm going to go back and I'm going to wait, but I'm going to give you an assignment. Your assignment is to carry the gospel to the whole world. Your assignment is to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And so Jesus came, he died, he was buried on a Friday and he rose on a Sunday. And don't say you don't believe it. There's more absolute facts that that happened than any other thing that you can think about. It is a proven fact that Jesus of Nazareth died on a Roman cross and three days later was raised. And even the Roman soldiers said, we've never seen anything like this in our life. 40 days later, he ascended. But he said, before I go away, I'm gonna leave you a comforter. That Holy Spirit's gonna get you through the tough years. And boy, have they been tough. And they're not getting any easier. But now we get to the subject of the day. And then I'm gonna come back. 
Now, I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to come back, but I'm coming back. And when I come back, I am going to rapture. I'm going to bring the dead in Christ will rise first, the Bible says. And then those which are alive and remain that have become children of God, not because of the nation they lived in, not because of the church they belonged to, but because the fact they acknowledge their sin, confess their sin, receive Jesus into their life. He said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to meet you in the air. You're going to leave planet Earth. I'm going to come back and get you and you're going to ever be with the Lord. That's called the second coming of Jesus Christ. He came the first time as an humble servant. He's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He came back the first time and in grace. He's going to come back the next time in judgment. He made a plan where everyone could, if they chose to, be born again and, and spend eternity with the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and with the redeemed, those that had received the same gift for the same reason, not because of the color of their skin, not because of the money they have, not because of the education they had, but they simply, by the, with the faith of a little child, they just believed the story of Jesus and received him into their life. And the Lord said, and so shall you ever be with the Lord. Now, Old Testament, I'm going to show you in a minute some of the prophecies. But I'm going to take you right now to the 14th chapter of John. Now, the 14th chapter of John uh, is preceded by the third chapter of John. The third chapter of John has a verse in it. It's called verse 16. If you know any, any verse in the Bible, you probably know John 3, 16. Well, I'm going to test you. Are you ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's John 3, verse 16. And the scripture goes on to say, didn't, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world because the world was condemned already. He came to save the world, okay? He didn't come to put you down. He came to lift you up. But then the scripture goes on. We get into John 14, and, and even from the very beginning, the believers began to have struggle. Many of them were executed. Most all of the disciples, if not every one of them, was executed by the government, by the people, by the authorities of that day. And so in John 14, verse 1, I want you to listen as I read to you uh, from the first verse to the sixth verse. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, these are in red. Jesus is speaking. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you Maybe also, and whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Well, doubting Thomas, you remember him? He's there, and here's what he says. Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Now listen, no man comes to the Father except through me and by me. Now he lays it out there. 
He makes it very clear. There's only one way to heaven. Say, I don't believe that preacher. If you believe the Bible, you believe that. If there had been any other way for people to been saved, God would have never sent his son to die on that cross. You can put that down. If there's a lot of ways, that would have never happened. There was only one way it could happen. God became flesh. God literally paid for the sin through the blood of his own son. Today, people argue about evolution. Now, this is not a, this is not a financial, I mean, excuse me, it's not a political statement. Uh, this is not telling you who to vote for. I'm so thankful we got a lot of people that are running for president of the United States that know God. They're born again Christians. They believe the Bible and so forth and so on. But I'm going to quote one of them. It's not endorsing him, but I do like him because he's a brother in Christ. His name is Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson. Let me tell you what he said the other day. I thought it was just great. I said, I'm going to use that in a sermon because here's what he says, arguing with the guy. He's very intelligent. Ben Carson, of course, neurosurgeon. He's a very intelligent man, but he's got a sense of humor. So he said he's talking to this guy and they were arguing about how man was created, the, the neurosurgeon and the other guy. And the other guy says, I don't believe in that creation story. I just don't believe that, what, that, that uh, you know, God created man. He said, I believe in evolution. Dr. Carson says, well, my friend, you believe that you came from a monkey. I believe I came from God. And after talking to you, I believe you're right. That's good, isn't it? Yes, sir. But those of us that are true believers know in the beginning God created. He told us how we were made and he's told us how we can be remade. It's by coming to Jesus. But now hold on. I got to get through this real quick. Jesus is coming again. Our ultimate hope is Jesus is coming again. Amen and amen. In the gloom, the frustration, and the pessimism of this world, Jesus is coming back. It's going to be so revolutionary that it will change every aspect of life on the planet. Medical science will change. All science will change. Government will change. Churches will change. Families will change. Everything will change. When God splits the heavens with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and when the dead rise first, there's going to be a new day. And there's nothing on the horizon, on contemporary horizons, that comes anywhere close to offering an alternate hope that's better than Jesus. God is coming back to take his family home with him. Nothing. There are 318 references and 215 chapters of just the New Testament that Jesus is coming back again. Let me say that again. There are 318 scriptures and 215 chapters of the book, the 27 books of the New uh, Testament. In the Old Testament, it was prophesied by Moses, Job, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Zechariah, all of these prophets, and then Jesus himself. In the New Testament, Peter, Paul, John, James, and Jude all say specific things about the fact that Jesus is coming back again. Of course, Matthew and Mark and Luke and those, you can add all of that to them in the synoptic gospels. 
But all we really need to know is Matthew 25, 31 says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. And the Bible says the kings will kneel, the presidents will kneel, every, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But it'll be too late for those who rejected Jesus, the, the Savior, while they were alive on this earth. It will be too late for them. That day is over when you draw your first breath. There is no life later. There is no purgatory in the Bible. Nowhere does it even talk about purgatory where you can go and you're going to go to purgatory and then if you pay a certain group a certain amount of money, they'll pray you out of purgatory. That is nowhere to be found in the holy book. The Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. Our ultimate hope is that Jesus is coming. My ultimate desire is that everyone here that will go up to meet the Lord in the air. And if we're dead, you know, we're six foot lower, we got to go six foot. The Bible says the dead in Christ are going to rise first. I guess that means they got six more feet to go. So then they, they come up and then we meet on ground level and we all go to meet the Lord in the air. That'd be my personal desire. So the Bible has made it possible for whosoever will to literally come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. So the first coming of Jesus in a manger, it was very quiet. The second coming was quite, uh, will be quite bombastic. The trumpets will sound. All the angels will shout, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And when we hear it on earth, if we're alive, we can join the angels in singing, the king is coming, he is here, he is here. He's going to come unexpectedly. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now the question is, will you be ready? The question is, will I be ready? The question is, those of you that watch, will you be ready? when Jesus comes back to this earth again. In Matthew 24 and 3, there are three questions asked or brought up to talk about. The disciples wanted, first of all, tell us when shall these things be? Number two, what are going to be the sign of the coming? Number three, and when will be the end of the world? Now, in opening up the 24th chapter of Matthew, if you'd like to turn over there, they accepted the fact that he was coming, but they wanted some details, and that's okay. I want some, you want some, and they're in the scripture. But I want you to know, before I give these to you, the Old Testament, all of the prophecies of the Old Testament that were written over 2,000 years or so, uh, those, those prophecies, I want to show you how they came true. Listen to them. Genesis 49.9 said that Jesus would be born in the tribe of Judah. Micah 5 and 2, he'd be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7, 14, he'd be born of a virgin. Hosea 11, 1, he'd be called out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 18 and 18, he would come as a prophet. Isaiah 53, 3, his own people would reject him. Zechariah 9, 9, he would make a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Zechariah 11, 12, he'd be betrayed and sold for 30 pieces of silver, the exact amount that was fulfilled in the New Testament. In Psalm 22, he'd be put to death by persecution. Psalm 22:16, his hands and feet would be pierced. Psalm 22:18, they'd cast lot for his clothes. Psalm 16 and 9, he'd be raised from the dead. And Psalm 68:18, he would ascend into heaven. All that's Old Testament. All of that is back 
in the books of the Old Testament, but all were fulfilled exactly like the prophet said. Now the New Testament guys take over. They began to carry the story on of how Jesus would come back to this earth, and, but he warned them, don't set any dates. Don't try to predict the time. But listen to the scripture in Luke 21, 28. It says, and when these things began to come to pass, see, this is Dr. Luke, this is the way a doctor thinks, isn't it? He's looking at the symptoms. He's looking at, uh, at, at and kind of making an examination. He says, and when these things began to come to pass, then look up, lift up your head, for your redemption draws nigh. You ready for what he said look for? Do you keep up with the news? Do you have any idea what's going on in the world today? I think this will be relevant if you do. Number one, he talks about the mental state of the world. Here's what Luke said. Two things are going to characterize the world. Luke 21, 25, and on the earth there'll be distress of nations with perplexities. Do you understand everything going on in the Middle East? You understand everything going on in Mexico? You understand everything going on in Africa? You even understand everything going on in Houston, you know? There's going to be a confusion, all right? Matthew 24, 10. And then many shall be offended, and they're going to be, and they will betray one another, and they will hate one another. Are you seeing any of that today? You know, the psychiatrists are, ha- are so busy today, they, they tell us that they're having uh, nervous breakdowns. You know, that's really bad. You know, when the, uh, those that, that have the behavioral sciences start having nervous breakdowns, it must be busy down at the office. But the Bible says the mental state of the world would be just like we said. Now, listen, what about the moral state of the world? You think they left that out? In the 17th chapter of Luke, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. In the days of Noah, everybody was trying to have fun. Everybody was caught up in entertainment. Everyone was, was changing what, what it was to be a man, what it was to be a woman. All of that was taking place in Noah's day. It says that day is going to come back again where the family is no longer the family, where dad is no longer the head of the home, where mom does not fulfill her role as literally being the queen of the home, where things are done for her and because of the love of what she means. All of that went down when Noah was here. And the Bible says it's going to come back again. There's going to come back a day when marriage is not going to be what it was. Now, listen to me. Marriage is not a government thing. Marriage was ordained by God. It was God's first earthly institution. Now, hear me, hear me. You don't have to agree, but you have a right to know what the facts are. God established the home. He told the man what to do, what the woman to do, and how the children were to be. But that is all changed. But God says it's coming back. We're going to be a family in heaven and there's going to be one authority. And at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Put that in modern language. We're going to say, Jesus, you are right. You are right, Jesus. You are worthy of our praises. You are the awesome example to every single one of us. It amazes me what people will pay to be entertained. It costs big bucks to be entertained. If you want to go to the big show, you better have the big bucks, you know, because people are desperate. You've got to get more expensive whiskey, more expensive shows to go to, more inspected entertainment events, or you can't stand it, especially if your friend goes and you can't go. You have got to be entertained. You've got to have fun. You've got to try to have one high after another high after another high. Now, I'm not putting you down. I'm just telling you the Bible said that was going to happen. We're just doing what the Bible said, but we have to understand 
that it may be because Jesus is coming soon because that is one of the things that's going to happen before he comes again. Now watch this. The third thing is there will be a great falling away. It says there'll be a time when churches will no longer be churches. They will be another places of entertainment where people will come for the social benefits they can get or for the business benefits they can get. But it has nothing to do with the fact of humbling yourself, praying, coming in an altar because you're ashamed of that. The Bible says there'll be a falling away. Listen to what it says, Matthew 24, 11, Then many false prophets will arise and deceive many. Let me tell you what a false prophet is. A false prophet is a person that's never been called of God as the, as the Old Testament prophets were to teach the scriptures. All a prophet does is takes it in his ear and, and puts it out the mouth. You hear from God and God speaks. Well, he wrote it down, okay? But the false prophets will never talk about salvation. They'll never talk about heaven. They'll never talk about hell. They will never talk about the fact there's a heaven again and a hell to shine and except you repent, you'll all perish because if they do that, the people leave and they go to where they can hear that kind of stuff because that's what they want. I want them to feel good. I drink what makes me feel good. I eat what makes me feel good. I listen to what makes me feel good and I go to church where it makes me feel good and everything else is gone. But the Bible says that's a sign of the coming of Jesus. Jesus knew that was happening. He knew that many people that go to church every single Sunday do not know him. And he says at the judgment, he's going to say, when you say, well, I did many wonderful works. I did this and that. He said, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. See, God knows who his kids are. He's adopted us. He's chosen us. He wants us. And you say, well, how do you, how do you know if I'm chosen? If you know that you're a sinner and that you're ashamed of your sin and you quit trying to apologize or trying to condone it, everybody else is doing, you just simply say, I've sinned. I need a savior. I can't save myself. Come into my heart and forgive me my sins. And I want to be born again. That's what it means to be a Christian. But the Bible says in the last days, there's going to be a great falling away. Now watch this one. The Bible says in the 12th verse of Matthew 24, and because lawlessness will abound and the love of many will wax cold. This week in Houston, Texas, one of the biggest cities in the world, a law enforcement officer was buried and the biggest church in Houston would not hold the people that came of a man that was shot at a gas station in the back of the head and I've heard 14, 15, and 16 shots and was killed. And every single day in America, we're hearing these kind of stories from one to the other, where there's no respect for law and order, no respect for authority in the government, in the school, in the family, in the church, in anything. That's one of the signs of the second coming of Jesus, that that's going to break down, that all of a sudden we're going to war against each other and the civil war won't be anything compared to what's going to happen when those days and moments come before we hear the trumpet sound and Jesus comes back to this earth again. This is not news to Bible people, what's happening. It is prophecy being fulfilled. All authority is given to him in heaven and earth. We ought to love each other, not because one's in authority and the other one's not. We ought to love each other because we trust each other, but somebody's got to call the shots. You've got to have an umpire at a baseball game. And the best we can do is blame it on guns. 
because they can't defend themselves, you know. You don't blame on anything of people holding a gun or what they've been drinking or smoking or taking or whatever. It's a, it's a stupid gun that's a problem in America. So get rid of the gun. No, you got to get rid of the sin. You understand the difference? You got to get rid of the sin. And when you get rid of the sin, people love each other instead of killing each other. And they share good news instead of bad news. But we have to stop and see this has all been told to us. 2 Timothy 3, 1. Listen to this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, listen, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And Paul wrote that to a young man named Timothy, and here's what he closed with. He said, young Timothy, from such turn away. The old man Paul says to the young man Timothy that still has the rest of his life, get out of that trap. You're being caught. You're being suckered into this. You are destroying your mind. You're destroying your emotions. You're destroying the good things. You're trying to be like one another. Get away. Turn away from it, Timothy. Don't let the devil confuse you and condemn you like he does to eternal death. But our world today is filled with lawlessness. We got man's laws, God laws, the laws of the home. They're all being broken. And then the Bible says there's going to be the coming of scoffers. Second Peter 3 Verse three, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep and all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Here's how that applies today. People today are saying, listen, I've lived 60 years, 50 years, 70 years, whatever, and he hadn't come. And we've been in a mess most of that time. So I don't think he's coming. That's the scoffer. The Bible says they're going to be here and they are here. No question about it. But the trumpet's going to sound. And when it sounds, it's over. The Bible says the trumpet shall sound. Again, the dead in Christ will rise first, and those that are alive and know the Lord will be called to meet the Lord in the air. Today, we're so proud of our wisdom, and yet we're the unhappiest generation that there's ever been. The last thing that I want to call to your attention was the Scripture says in Matthew 24, 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Financial problems, oil problems, moral problems. You could just go on and on with the list. It's only Bible prophecy. It is. What's the cause of it? It's just the way it was in the beginning of time. It was written. This is what's going to happen. We're seeing it happen. We're watching it happen. We're experiencing what it's doing to our marriages and our homes and our schools and our government and our military and our law enforcement. And you can go on and on with the list. We're watching it. And all that means is he's coming. And I don't know when, but I know what thing. I'm closer to the second coming than I ever have been. And welcome to, the welcome to my side. So are you. Like that little green uh, part we're talking about here on the long rope. This is it. But listen, I'm closer now than I was a long time ago. 
God says, I'm coming. Well, what am I going to do? What should you do? Three things. I'll give them to you in about two minutes. Number one, you need to prepare with urgency. The Bible says now is accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. 24, Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, be also ready for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man is going to come. So we're going to get ready right now. Get ready. Attention. Get ready. You know, go on guard. Number two, we need to wait with anticipation. Kind of need to go around and look. I spent two nights this week looking up into the sky. I was in an area where there wasn't any natural light. It was one of our church members and we looked at the stars. And, when, and there was a lady standing there and she says, there's a scorpion. I looked down at the bottom. You know, I didn't, I'm not into this astrology stuff. I thought I was stepping on one. And I went back, oh, it's up here. I said, okay. And so she pointed it out up there, you know. We saw the Big Dipper, the Little Dipper, the North Star. We saw all of those planets and all. And by the way, they're right where God put them when he created them. And they're going to be there when he comes again. The heavens declare the glory of God. If you hadn't seen it, get out of town. Get out there somewhere and look up and be still and know that he is God. But we need to wait with anticipation. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wait with anticipation. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Listen, you can take your kids with you. You can take your grandkids with you. you, you don't, your stuff is going to stay behind, including the payments on that stuff. Let the credit union work it out, all right? But we're going to be called to our ultimate free gift of salvation, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And we'll be no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more nothingness, because the former things are passed away, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Folks, that is our promise. That is the message of salvation from God himself. That's not a church message. That's a God message. God sent his son to seek and to save those which are lost, and we're all born that way. We're not accountable until we reach the age where we know there's a God, and we've sinned against that God, and then God holds us accountable. But none of us were ever trained to do bad. We came that way. But when we know that we've sinned and we acknowledge that and ask Jesus to come into our heart, he will come in just that moment. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever done that before? The Bible says we will work with zeal. That means that we will be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. In Matthew 24, 46, my last scripture says, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Work, for the night comes when nobody can work. Be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. I've closed with this very quick illustration with permission of the person that was here last Sunday, and I think he's here right now. He was a visitor last Sunday. I called him on Sunday afternoon, as I try to do our guest, if I have their phone number, and uh, Wade and I and others, we make calls, and we try to make sure that everybody gets a contact. And I said to this person, I said, I just want on behalf of Sagemont Church to tell you that you blessed us while your attendance. And all of you that are guests, you blessed us today. I want you to know that. And we sure hope we blessed you. And as I was saying, the gentleman stopped me. He said, just be quiet just a moment. I want to reverse this and I want to tell you something. And he told me a lot of things, but I want to tell you to make my point what he said. He said, I've been to thousands of churches, but I've never been to a place where I felt the love of God like I felt at Sagemont today. As many of you were servants of the Lord, you gave a word, a look, and a touch. You didn't just go find a seat and sit down and look like a bullfrog, you know, waiting for a, a stork to come by. 
you know. But you were smiling. You felt like, you know, in God's place, the singing was good. The preaching, the, the talking, everything good. If one thing is common, that is that God's here. God is here. He's here right now. We've gathered for him. We're not here to try to build a church. We're trying to get people to the kingdom of God. But you must understand that no church controls God. He is God. And all he says is, if you'll acknowledge you're a sinner and repent, I'll receive you. And so shall you ever be with the Lord. And so shall you ever be with everybody that's with the Lord. That's called one big family. Okay. We're all going to be brothers and sisters in Christ. No cousins, no brother-in-laws. Amen. Uh, you know, <laughs> no in-laws, outlaws, former husband, former wife, all this kind of stuff. No, 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 no. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. He's king. He's the father. Jesus is the son and we are his kids. And how glorious it's going to be when the Holy Spirit puts us all together because of one thing. We were sinners. We needed a Savior. God took care of it. He sent the Savior. All we got to do is say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and save me. And we can be saved right now.